0: This is a series of podcasts that are exploring some LGBTQ stories that tell us a little bit about life in England and Wales before the legalisation of homosexuality in 1967. My name's Tom Marshman and I made a show called Haunted Existence and I worked with Jeannie Sinclair on that project.
1: Tuesday, 8th of May, 1962 After all night came away having left two pairs of socks hanging to dry over the radiator in the switch room. Had to come back by bus Retrieved socks, feeling tired and cursing my luck When who should I run into but F on the stairs? Such are the astounding surprises life deals out We were pleased to see each other We recognise one another as men apart, and there is mutual warmth. I said I would look in on him again.
0: So that was the gorgeous tones of Bernie Hodges (laughs) um, reading uh, the diary entry from William Halle, um, who you can find his diaries in the um, Wandsworth archive, can't you? Mm
2: -hmm. Wandsworth Heritage Service at Battersea Library.
0: Great. And so that's where you did some of the research for when the show went to to Battersea Arts Centre. And I worked with different groups actually there and showed them this story, but also showed them the Haunted Existence show and worked with them on that. I think that we both kind of fell in love with William and um, the way that he writes in his diary. So can you tell us a bit about him?
2: Yeah, I mean, William Halle was born in 1912 and he was an artist and worked for British Telecom at the Telephone Exchange um, as a kind of day job and he lived locally, he lived in a few different addresses around Wandsworth and his diaries were donated to the archive after his death and they really are quite brilliant. So they date from, I think the earliest one is from 1949 and they go right up to 1998 when he died. And he's just a really fascinating personality.
0: So his story really tells us like it's got accounts from, um, you know, when it was still illegal to living in like Mm. the 80s and 90s when obviously things had completely changed and arguably we are much more liberated. and the way he writes he he goes through periods of writing words that are kind of quite coded and he doesn't talk about that and i wondered mm-hmm. whether there's a possibility that he was not revealing or because actually the police if they found out that some people were gay they might have like looked through they might have searched houses they might have looked through diaries to find out like what was going on and they might be able to use this as evidence against him do you think there was oh, absolutely. that case
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it certainly, you know, from the early diaries. I mean, in some ways he doesn't hold back and there's quite a lot of detail about various encounters that he has with men. And some of it's really quite surprisingly explicit. Um, But he does use codes for names. He doesn't use full names apart from his close friends. Um, And I, I just really enjoy the fact that it's almost like reading a teenager's diary, even when he's in his 50s. The, I think the extracts that we um, just had is from 1962. And so he's, you know, he's 50 by that point. And he's still both struggling with these crushes that he has on men and also with his desire because he feels like he shouldn't have these desires and um is constantly trying to suppress them but that makes him unhappy as well so um
0: it's kind of like for me as a gay man to read it's just like a combination of being really reassuring and actually like oh god we have to carry on going through this like torment
2: yeah, I mean, I don't even, yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting. This is another human being. He's just, you know, he's just very anxious and he just wants to be loved like anybody else does. Mm. And uh, so you kind of have him veering between these uh, periods of abstinence where he's kind of berating himself for being controlled by his desires, plus also these, um, these encounters where he he travels to certain places and I think also one of the things I was going to say about this one is it's quite interesting that his sexual activity is almost entirely centred outside of London although he lives in Wandsworth Mm -hmm. um, he travels to a place called Horsted Keynes which I initially thought was code um, but is a real place where in Sussex and he has evidently traveled there several times to meet other men and I have tried to look up other information about whether there's a particular... Cruising
0: site or something. It's a
2: tiny village mm. in Sussex mm. with a with a nice pub, so mm. I'm not quite sure um,
0: why. So why doesn't you think he like has that London life?
2: I mean, he does. I mean, he absolutely does as well. I mean, that's quite an interesting thing. I mean, he never really has any money and all the spare money he has, he spends on getting his paintings framed for exhibitions. Mm. Um, and he's uh, sort of moderately successful as an artist he has exhibitions and sells some of his work and
0: his paintings are amazing i just you just showed me them before we started recording and i really love his style
2: yeah i think it, it's very colorful and sort of expressionistic i think for the period it's not necessarily super fashionable um Mm. but you know he's i like his work he's a good painter Mm. and he he does have some success um but again it's a source of much anxiety to him like Mm. whether his paintings are any good and having to show them and uh, whether people like them or not whether they buy them or not is another thing he worries about greatly that Mm. comes across in his diaries (laughs)
0: So the Heritage Lottery funded the workshops and, and, and pop-up exhibition. So one of the groups that I worked with were students that were based at um, Central School of Speech and Drama. And so you kind of honed this way of working where you look through the bones, the flesh and the ghosts of a archival document. Um, and we kind of did that approach with the diary account. So. I just had as many accounts from the diaries as, as I could and we gave them out to the group and we kind of just like um, split them up and then we they looked at them and they were like what are the bones here, what are the flesh here and what are the ghosts here and using that as an approach really like got us to think about him so much more deeply than, than we previous had and something that someone noted from that group was like he's such an interesting character that he isn't always honest even to himself within the diary Mm. so he kind of like is putting on a facade or putting on a pretense and also like he uses this coded language.
2: Mm, I think the way he writes is really fascinating and you can really tell he's struggling at times and there's some diary entries that we've got that which where he just talks about being utterly despairing and too miserable to even write and it's usually underlined several times as well Um, and he's got this fascinating code for um, masturbating where he'll write a diary entry and it will be finished with did which uh, or did furiously or did naturally which I think is code for wanking.
0: And we wonder what did naturally could actually mean. Yeah, I mean,
2: what could that mean? (laughs) (laughs) It's it's quite fascinating. Mm. Yeah.
0: So should we have another um, reading from the diary now? Yes,
2: absolutely.
1: Tuesday, 6th of February, 1962. What a false instinct. I wonder what made me go to Iceford. I'm now wise after the event. At Farningham, I visited two pubs in order to dull my senses beforehand. Then I walked along the top road to Iceford, paid a visit to the church, then boldly entered the door. F was there serving teas. Two lorry drivers sat at a table. Whether a flash of recognition passed over his face, I don't know. I was barely able to glance at him. I ordered a tea and a rock cake. His voice was like a rasp, and I'd forgotten there was an impediment in his speech. After serving me, he rushed back behind the curtain to his wife, and I heard words passing between them rapidly. I left quickly, without anything further happening. I walked back to Farningham. Now that is settled at last. I got nothing. And I should have expected nothing. Went to Brian's class in the evening. Did. So what's
0: interesting, I think, about William as well is like, well, he's, such a, he's just such a good storyteller. Mm. And it's, a, it's another level of kind of archival evidence, if you like, that we don't have much of in the haunted existence in the, in the show, the haunted existence and the research that was around that show. And what William does is paint these beautiful, painful <laughs> pictures of of things, really.
2: Yeah, I mean, one of the things I find really fascinating about his diary is that he doesn't mention anything about world events. There's nothing about what's happening in the outside world it's really um it really is about his kind of inner self and his his anxieties about things his anxieties around whether his work's good enough his anxieties about having exhibitions or not having exhibitions but most of all all of these things around these crushes that he has on people so sometimes it'll be somebody he works with or um, in that example it's um, a man that's in a cafe somewhere in, near Dartford and we don't really know what happened previously with that man um, but obviously he says it's, he's, it's been a source of anxiety for quite some time and mm. he's very disappointed when he goes back to meet him and the whole diary is really filled with sort of swinging between his some quite interestingly graphic events about for example there's an earlier diary, I think it's from around 1949 it's one of the much earlier ones where he's a much younger man and he goes on holiday somewhere to the seaside and there's an episode where he talks about meeting this older couple who I think are in their 70s and ending up in the men's toilets with the husband um and that's quite an interesting so it's it's you know although in some ways it's quite coy in the way that he's using codes and talking around the subject it's really fascinating the way that you have these kind of really explicit references to things that are going on in his in his life Mm -hmm. um and that's the, the difference between something like this where you've got a diary to the men that we researched in for haunted existence where he's talking in his own voice so he's got some autonomy within the archive that he he is able to speak with his own voice and mm. he is the author of his own history again it's quite interesting because i mean i think it's not completely explicit that he's gay either mm. that, so in some ways we're putting stuff on mm. to the meaning of what he's writing in the diary but i mean i think there's pretty much no doubt about mm. it but mm. at the same time it's difficult to kind it's of not, do that I guess what
0: you mean is like it's not framed by there's not an introductory exactly to, um, yeah to it so within the Haunted Existence show the closest we have really mm. is you went out on a limb and and wrote to a bowling club where Geoffrey spent like the last years of his life mm. um you so you emailed the the bowling club and like did you know Geoffrey and what mm. was he like that sort of that was the tone of the email wasn't mm. it and you got this really amazing response back and it painted such a p- clear picture of what Jeffrey was like and his partner, John, um, being like l- having Labradors that they used to walk at the Oval adjacent to the club and that they were like, they loved a drink mm. and they were large, overweight and loud. Mm. And it just, you know, it's not much to go on, but it kind of tells you so much that, about that, the soul of those people really
2: yeah I mean that was really beautiful because um, it couldn't have been a better written email like as as a really short kind of pen portrait of a couple it was just really beautiful and really touching Mm. and really sweet and again although we don't get to hear Jeffrey's voice within that you know it's an account from someone who knows them you yeah. know and it's really lovely and mm-hmm. I think it's a really interesting way of kind of finding a bit more about that person and again it's like that the idea of the using that Re- Rebecca Schneider quote that absent flesh does ghost bones as a way of approaching archival material I think is really helpful where you're kind of looking around the material that you've got that what what isn't being said and what else can you find out from what's haunting those documents with those objects and um it's a really useful way of of kind of looking for information or or kind of creatively um exploring those stories a bit more
0: something that we talked about when we looked at Um, William's diaries before was like, because when I look at them I'm like, oh this is like a middle class man, Mm. Um, but you kind of told me like maybe that wasn't so much the case, it's just that he's very articulate really in that way and I think that Mm. the stories that we have from Haunted Existence are mostly like soldiers and farmers that, that may not be so articulate or might not write diaries or we don't have access to those.
2: Yeah I mean uh, William doesn't come from money he his father dies when he's young and um, he's born in Hastings and he grows up with his his mother and his sister and one of the consistent things running through the diary is his um, his general penury and lack of money and um, having to live in in digs and the kind of misery around that and getting told off for cooking Brussels sprouts in his room and the landlady coming in and he, he said well i have to move now <laughs> it's just um the kind of frustration around that um it's and
0: quite an artistic life it seems yeah, yeah.
2: and that's it. That he works shift work you know he works at the telephone exchange which isn't a middle class job mm. you know it's a working class job mm. um but he is educated and he is very articulate and he's very cultured um
0: how do you think though class impacts on on how you look at archives generally? Like that's oh, yeah. a massive probably PhD yeah. question.
2: Well, I mean, it's huge because um, again, when you go back to um, what an archive is and it's generally something that's created by, the, you know, it goes back to state records. So the state keeping records about you and the way that archives are structured and the way that information is structured, there's a kind of patriarchal power structure that, essentially means that your sexuality or your race is written out of the archive and when
0: you start those workshops that we've done together Mm. you've always gone like what is an archive and who is in charge of an archive yeah you asked like when we in chepster you asked those school kids that question yeah like it puts such a sort of framing on what we're going to talk about next
2: yeah, absolutely, because it's um, really who owns the archive, who has created the archive, and the the archive will um, essentially recreate the power structures of the institution, organisation, or whoever's created the archive. So generally for you know, if you look at the National Archives, you know, poor people, uneducated people, women, children um, are generally written about, you know, then they don't have their own voice. And that's, again, it's, you know, with something like a diary where someone is deemed important enough for their diaries to be kept by the archive because that's quite essential. And I think because William is an interesting local resident, a moderately successful artist, and he has all these um, diaries. That's why they've been archived, essentially. So, yeah, there is a real issue with researching the lives of working people. And again, it's like creating oral history archives and things like that that have been done more recently is a way of attempting to redress that balance and to give people their own voice. And um, especially when it comes to histories around... um, Women, people of colour, and LGBTQ plus stories. Um, that's one of the ways around these power structures that exist.
0: Hmm. I wonder, like, what William would think of us sat here now talking about like his diary.
2: I, yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I think obviously he he knew that his arc. I don't know if he knew he, his diaries were going into the archive or not, or whether I'm sure because I know friends were. Responsible after he died for taking a few bits and pieces out that were a bit too sensitive um, or that mentioned people too directly. Mm. Um, but otherwise, I think they're pretty much un- unedited. But obviously, somebody thought that it was important enough. And I think he would probably love it, actually. I think he would. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Shall we finish this episode by just having one more reading from William?
2: Yes. Oh, this one this one's one of my favorites when he's having a particularly terrible day.
1: Thursday, seventeenth of October, nineteen sixty-three. Oh, really diary. I'm hard put to bear with myself today. In bed all day feeling washed up. Ghastly. With a sick feeling in my stomach. I feel hatred for everyone. I'm tormented by desire and I want to get drunk. I have opened GP's bottle of homemade wine which is dry and good and I feel better now that the veils of alcoholism are spreading over me. I notice Hugh has taken to brandy. Perhaps the over 40s need a pick-me-up.